Episode 190 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Uh, it's me and Robert. Uh, Katie will be here shortly. Remember, she always pulls the short straw and has to like be the parent. Because uh, apparently kids require time and stuff. Howdy, y'all. That chameleon just fell. I don't know if I can see this because it's radio, but our, how do these things survive in the wild? <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still not a crested gecko. Where's he at? He fell. He's on the side oh, of the cage. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's like, hang- jeez. Yeah, it's like cliffhanger back there. Yep. All I can see is his butthole. Oh, chameleon butthole. Uh, it's like slowly sliding. Yeah. He's All right. Again, not as dumb great, as... Great radio. Not as dumb as a gargoyle. Or it's as out. a cre- Look, crescent gecko. It's out. One All of the skinks right. is out. Yeah. Just point out animals that nobody can see. Yeah. Hope you all enjoying this great radio. Uh, so let's go ahead and get sponsored stuff. Uh, Katie's not here, so I'm going to run through... If you're looking for a rack cage, uh, a sign, anything that a laser can cut, uh, that's not metal... Uh, get a hold of Robert at lsreptileracks.com. Robert can do what all this Katie has a lot in the phone. I don't have it. But you know, it's a, just go back and listen to the previous episode. It's there. Or the previous 189 episodes. They're there. Little Shop of Horrors is a small feeder and pet supply business based in San Antonio. And they regularly schedule feeder meetups around San Antonio as well as other neighboring towns and cities. They offer shipping on their feeder insects. Ice pods that are working on starting shipping on their feeder rodents, which is true. <clears throat> I'm getting a uh, a practice package from him this week. We'll see how it goes. And then we can add that they do shipping soon, which will be great. Uh, all feeders are raised on a nutritional diet that optimizes the health of the reptiles and the amphibians that consume them. Yeah, it's a, a very he has a very complex diet. Dude, I, I, I know I missed the night that he was on, and I hate that I missed that. But everything I've seen that Lewis does is like, he reminds me a lot of Lee and Amanda. Ready. From Reddy's Rainforest, in the fact that everything is, uh, I'm top uh, notch. <laughs> like, okay, I, I, I see Nathan. I, I agree. See. I just had to. So I, I'm amazed every day when I look at our website because of our listener Nathan Holcomb, who's made like the best website. By the way, go to thereptilegumbopodcast.com and check out the website that Nathan did because he's awesome. But he's right. Every blurb for all the uh, for the. Uh, Sponsors is on there. I could have just read it. It's it's right there. He put it in there. Your board right there. If you're looking for high quality PVC rack, look no further than Lone Star. So he it's, had to have sat there and listened and, and to typed it out. Typed that out. Dude, that's pretty Nathan, awesome. I say this all due respect. Uh, go do stuff, man. No, uh, keep doing what you're doing, bro. <laughs> I can tell you, we're talking about Lewis uh, because of Nathan. I can tell you if you need to go listen to episode 164 again tonight. I just had. We're gonna fight. You've said it like three or four times now. It's it's so weird. it's a filler. It's like it's it's. Uh, go go listen to episode one sixty four. That's Lewis Batoy's Little Shop of Horrors episode, and you can listen to we talked about the diet that he feeds all of his reptiles. I'm going to be honest. That is the only episode that I've ever actually listened to. I can believe that. Well, no, prior so, to you being on. Prior to yeah, yeah, because I was actually interested in that one. That yeah, night, was, and we'll have to have him back on. Not that I haven't been interested in other people that I wasn't here that night. Um. <laughs> We'll get him back on here. Yeah. Yeah, Nathan said he had to listen to the, the stuff like 30 times. I'm sorry, Nathan. <laughs> you know that uh, if you would have just messaged Katie, she has it in her phone. She could have copy, paste, sent, and then you oh, could have copy, paste, say, in the list. Don't say that now. He did all the work. Well, it's too late now. Don't make him feel bad. I'm not, I don't know if he feels bad. <laughs> uh, let me go. Hey, you know what? Let me go to our sponsors page, and I'll just read you the stuff off of the sponsor page. 
Um, if you need a UVB LED bulb, reach out to VivTech Products using code uh, Still Gumbo22. It's Gumbo22. Says listen to the podcast with the code. Uh, code Gumbo22 uh, to save 15% on all your LED bulbs, smart devices, snake bags, and UV meter when they when they finally make one. Remake one, I guess. Uh, if you if you have not gotten an LED bulb from VivTech, uh, what are you waiting for? Yeah, what are you waiting on? Because they're awesome. They are amazing. You really need to go do that. Uh, Nathan said he hates messaging at 3 a.m. Don't worry, Katie's phone's on silent. You can message her at 3 a.m. And if you message at me at 3 a.m., I'm probably, probably awake, awake. So <laughs> it's fine. I mean, I got a good two hours of sleep at that point for in the morning, three to five. I'll be good. Uh, but seriously, go to VivTech, get your bulb. For anything that you have, any reptile you have that needs UVB, those bulbs are amazing. They last forever. They're small, which I like, but they fit into a regular socket. I hate when they make a small bulb that only fits into a specialized socket. I think that was just a thing that they tried, and now it didn't work, so they're not doing it anymore. Yeah, because it was a pain. Because you had to buy their, and no one wanted to go buy their fixture. Right. And people already had, as a reptile people, we already have like 70 fixtures. Like the fixture in my bedroom is one of those. Really? The fan. Oh, yeah. And I hate it because it's the only light in my entire house. It's not a smart bulb. Ugh. Because. What a dumb bulb. I know. it's a dumb. It has a remote. But um, I'm probably going to just, re- no, I can't, I can't, I even thought, well, I could just replace the switch with a smart switch. It's smart enough that if you turn the power off and turn it back on, it doesn't come on. You have to use a remote to turn it on. Well, that's annoying. It's, I hate it. But you know what doesn't do that? VivTech bulbs. It's 10 foot ceilings and I'm not getting up on a ladder and changing that thing out again. <laughs> oh, anyways, check out VivTech. Also, let's go with our Herbs Reptile shows real quick. Uh, sorry, I did. I know I did it. I can't look. It's where did this come from? I have no idea, but I'm I'm catching myself doing it now. Now I just do it on on purpose. Uh, this weekend, not this weekend, in two weekends, November 18th, November 19th, West Monroe, Louisiana. So if you're in North Louisiana, South Arkansas, Missouri, Texas, Mississippi, go over West Monroe. Uh, Robert maybe be there if he's not go see I'll be there if anybody if go see Robert and then go see our buddy uh, uh, oh my god Douglas, Douglas Ray, Ray White <laughs> I got Ray White and I couldn't remember the first name Douglas Ray White uh, but you guys say Douglas Ray White when you see him uh, you, you'll see him look for the guy that looks like he should not be married to the woman he's married to that's not Robert also <laughs> that's, that's Robert that's also me but um, you'll see I don't know how Doug got Natasha I guess it's his sense of humor I don't know. She seems pretty annoyed by it most of the time. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is true. Uh, go by and see them. Go by and see our friend Bull, who we had on, I don't know, episode whatever. I wonder if that's on there. Does he have Bull on there? I know I'm just playing on our website now. Go by and see Bull and and congratulate them on their new baby, who I finally got to see this past weekend. He does not have Bull. Oh, man, you got to fix that, Nathan. It's whatever episode we interviewed in Pearland. The first Pearland show. The first Pearland show. A year ago this weekend. Yeah, because we interviewed Bull. We talked about the white trash gene, but I go congratulate them on their baby, their cute little baby. It's still like like a like a wobble head, bobblehead. It's just James held her. I did hold her for for a picture, and then I gave her back because I don't do babies anymore. I raised mine. I'm good. Everybody keep their own babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get through these real quick. Austin, Texas, December second, December third. Herp Slidell, December 9th, December tenth. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Not going there. January thirteenth, January fourteenth. Longview, Texas, January twentieth, January twenty first. Conroe, Texas, January 27th, 28th, which is my birthday. Corpus Christi, Texas, January or February 24th, 25th. And then over to Baton Rouge, 
March 2nd and March 3rd, which technically Gonzalez, which uh, someone who stayed in our Airbnb today, uh, this past weekend. Was the coolest place I've ever It seen. was a cool place. It had, a, had the fattest axolotl. It was a massive axolotl in our Airbnb, which I thought was just funny because of who was staying there. Uh, it had fake ivy in the shower, which is fine unless you're a fat guy like me. Then you bump into it every time you turn. It had um, like a record player in the living room. When I was Bob Marley. Turned it on. It had Bob Marley on yeah. it. The whole house was... It was called like art. She's like an artist retreat. I never made it to the backyard. Really? No. It had a trampoline, which it, is strategically not in any of the Airbnb stuff. So I don't think they're supposed to have them. And it also had an adult connect four game. I missed all that. Cause I didn't, I never walked into the backyard. Yeah. I, if I sound, patio, you could pull curtains all the way around it where nobody could see you. If you were in the patio too. So we're saying you could have sex on the patio. I, I assume so. I mean, okay. you could either way. Gotcha. But then you can have it privately. Sure. Uh, if I sound weird, it's because I spent all Saturday night in a casino, and uh, you can still smoke in those places, apparently, and I don't smoke, and my um, my body does not appreciate being around all that smoke. By the way, when I say I spent all night in the casino, I didn't win jack shit. I lost 26 bucks. That was all I gambled. That was it. And you lost some of somebody else's money. I did lose somebody else's $100, but they let me gamble their $100. Uh, blackjack. On blackjack, but I lost all that, too. Uh, but yeah, so now I'm going to throw Anyways, one of the other people staying in our Airbnb this weekend, which is in Lake Charles, which is two hours from Houston called because she was at the venue and no one was there uh come to find out she was at the venue in gonzalez louisiana which is three hours past lake charles and she's from houston so she drove two hours to lake charles then the extra three hours to baton rouge to realize she was in the wrong place and had to drive three hours back to lake charles that night to get back to the the airbnb she looked at the wrong louisiana show when she looked for the address (laughs) Uh, at least she called and she's like where's everybody at and russell and i are like uh, we're literally standing outside the venue and there's cars everywhere. And she's like, this place is, a, there's a bunch of horses out here. Where are you at? I'm at the, whatever that's called. The Lamar Dixon, Lamar Dixon. And I was like, Lamar, Lamar that's Baton Rouge. Wait a minute. Uh, turn around. We'll yeah. see you later tonight. She did have though, some of the nicest, uh, IJ blue tongue things yes. I've ever seen. Uh, cause I, I saw them and I asked Sean, I was like, are those Northerns or IJs? No, they're IJs. Cause I was gonna say they're ugly Northerns, but they were beautiful IJs. I'm looking at Airbnb in, uh, West Monroe, Louisiana. Yeah. The host's name is Scooter. Scooter. Which, uh, I've never told anyone this. That was my nickname when I was a kid. Scooter. Yep. I'm not, I didn't crawl. I scooted on my butt. I'm not calling you Scooter. Nope. I don't Nobody. One person left in this world alive calls. Me. I know I said I can't call Gonzo by his actual name. I'm not calling you Scooter though. Yep. Okay, uh, we've wasted enough time. Yeah, let's go ahead and get to our guest. Uh, I'm excited about this guest because again, this is episode 190. Which, by the way, before we get to him, I did the math. Episode 200 should be around January 30th because I think we're going to take the week of Thanksgiving off, and we're going to take the week of Christmas off. That should put episode 200 uh, the week the week after my birthday. So uh, I have not decided what we're doing yet for that. We may. We may just do a bunch of call-ins from some of our previous 199 episodes. What was Max's last? <laughs> That's true. We may leave Max out on this one. Uh, but yeah, so listen for that. Uh, also, our giveaway. I apologize to our, our, our hosts that are doing the giveaway. I will sit down tonight after this on my computer and make a post for it. But we are going to give away a Reptile Gumbo shirt and some stickers thanks to Colossal Constrictors. I'll keep throwing them out there. Colossal Constrictors, they're amazing. Uh, check them out. I got a wonderful snake that's in quarantine right now from them. Can't wait a couple of years. It's going to make some awesome babies. So anyways, Colossal Constrictors, I promise the giveaway is coming this month because then they're doing a giveaway for December also. Well, four giveaways in December. Uh, they're doing one each week of December. So, all right, let's get to our guest. Ready, Robert? 
been ready. He's I probably know. real ready. He's probably ready. Uh, again, 190 episodes. Everyone knows on the, as you listen, listen to this, that I do Sambo's because everybody makes fun of my little derpy worms. And I've done 189 of these things. And I've never had a Sambo person on until now. Welcome, Rufus Darden of Rufus Darden's Reptiles. How's it going, Rufus? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Um, I, I, I know you cause I'm in all the, the Sambo groups. So I've seen you in all of those. And then in 2000, well, let's see, I started the podcast in 2020. So it was to the last, there's 2019 Tinley right before everything shut down and the world went to hell, uh, was the first time I saw Rufus in person, which I know you, at no point do you remember this at all, but that was also the same show where you won Dave Kaufman's like snake of uh rattle on award for snake. Cause if you're a black Russian Sambo. Oh, I, I remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing that snake in person going, that's awesome. And now I own two things to our friend, Jason Miller Radovich. Me too. Yeah, you do um, as well. Uh, which is an awesome snake, which we will get into those as well. But, uh, give her, I guess everybody a background of what you keep. Uh, and then we can go from there. Okay. Well, um, it's, it's pretty simple and straightforward, uh, right now. Uh, it is mostly just sand boas. And so, um, the Kenyan sand boas, Russian sand boas, uh, I also have some Indians and Arabians. Um, uh, other than that, you know, right now I just, uh, have a few odd and end things, you know, blue tongue skink, uh, a Northern blue tongue. Um, I adopted a redfoot tortoise and, um, uh, I do have a pair of craw keys as well, but, okay. uh, but other than that, uh, the, the breeding part is just, um, sand boas. Yeah. I, uh, I will have a blue tongue at some point. I've wanted one for forever and I want a Northern because I like the bigger mm-hmm. and the more colorful and the pretty and, and I want one. I just, yeah. I want one once I have the space. Cause I don't, it's going to be like a pet pet and it's going to get a nice big cage. And that's not to say that I don't like all my animals, but I mean, come on, I got like 40 something sand boas. They're not all going in nice big cages. They're Sambo's, but I want to get, I want to get a blue tongue. I do have, I have two red foots. Robert, you have a red foot, right? I have two. You got two red foots. Those are fun tortoises. Uh, and then I do have boas. I've got, but I've got Colombians and I do a little bit of breeding with Colombians, but Sambo's, I love Sambo's and I get made fun of by everybody because they just call them worms or, uh, people are like, why would you want to own that? You can never see it. And my answer is always just take it out and then you can see it. I don't understand the argument there. But uh, you you have the white whale of Samboas. You have Arabian Samboas, which for anybody that doesn't know what that is, I promise you do know what that is. If you've ever seen the dumbest picture of a snake on earth, it's the Arabian Samboa. Just just picture this. You saw it. It looks like a sock puppet with googly eyes on top of its head. It's the goofiest looking Samboa. And I love them and I want one. How are they to keep? Hey, they're great. You know, they're... Uh, they're- I'd say in terms of their temperament, you know, very similar to the Kenyan sand boas, pretty docile. Uh, they will flinch every once in a while, you know, if they're disturbed. Um, you know, not not really biters, don't musk a whole lot. Um, you know, so they're they're pretty easygoing in terms of um, you know interacting with them, that kind of thing. And um, also, their husbandry requirements are similar to the uh, Kenyans. Uh, they like a little bit hotter, maybe a little bit drier, but uh, um, you know, fairly straightforward and easy to keep. Yeah, they are the weird, well, one of two weird Samboas, and I guess one of two weird boas in general, because they lay eggs. Um, they don't lay, I don't think, as weird an egg as like the Saharan Samboa that everybody's probably familiar with, because 
That's the one that people go to a uh, reptile show and they find a Sambo for super cheap and they get it and they post it online. Go look at my Kenyan. Everybody goes, that's not a Kenyan. Uh, Saharans are the ones that lay those weird eggs that hatch in like seven to 14 days and are paper thin. Arabian eggs, I'm assuming, are different. It's a longer incubation, right? It is. Um, they're also uh, very thin, fragile eggs. They don't look as thin as the Saharan eggs. Um, however, they're super delicate. But uh, you, you're right. They do take uh, longer to incubate. Uh, around you know 60 to 70 days uh, is your typical incubation time. Are you incubating those? Like, Are you putting them in an incubator to stay warmer? Or can you just like... It's not, it's not like colubrids where you just put them on a shelf and they'll hatch. Um, I, I've never tried the just putting them on a shelf method, but uh, I have tried several other methods and uh, I've always used uh, some type of incubator. And so uh, I go around, you know, uh, 84 to 88 degrees um, yeah, with really high humidity. And uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's what I've tried in the past. Uh, and I've tried various substrates, everything from sand to vermiculite perlite, uh, hatchrite, and even substrate-free. And um, uh, all of those had some success. Uh, the sand, though, uh, didn't work at all, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, which you wouldn't suspect, you know. Yeah. Do, anyway. do you find they dry out? Because they're so thin, do they dry out easily? They dry very easily, especially, uh, you know, the most crucial period seems to be like your first couple of days. And what I've learned, I've had the best success if I'm there right when that uh, female laser eggs. Uh, that way, as soon as they're there, before they even start to sort of firm up, it's because when they're laid, they're kind of like jelly. But before they even firm up, you just go on ahead and move them into incubation and they uh, they do a lot better that way. Yeah, it's it's funny. Anytime a non-snake person sends me a, they're like, look at this goofy picture of a snake and it's an Arabian Sambo. I'm like, I get it. Mm-hmm. They're goofy. But God, I want one. They, I don't. I, I guess the the breeding is why they're not nearly as common in the pet trade. Because uh, I only know of two people that own them, and only one person's reproduced them, and that's you. Yeah, I think uh, I think you know, even though they are um, fairly easy and straightforward to keep, uh, the reproduction part that's where the the challenge comes in. You know, uh, for some people I know they they have trouble even just getting eggs. Uh, I never had so much trouble getting eggs. Uh, it's just once I get them, uh, you know, there's the challenge of, of getting them to hatch. Yeah. And then after that, you've even got these are really small babies. You know, they can be as small as two grams. Oh, jeez. So, uh, yeah. So like two to five gram uh, babies. And uh, uh, so, you know, if they can't eat a red hot pink, you might be sliding mouse tails down them to start them off, you know. So they're smaller than a Kenyan Samboa baby. By far. I'll oh. say because most of my Kenyans are six to eight. Eight nine grams. I don't, although I did have one litter where they all weighed like fifteen grams. They were massive babies. Uh, mm-hmm. But man, that is crazy. Two two, two grams. I mean, that's like dealing with like corn snakes or smaller. Mm-hmm. Man, uh, you also have another one that I'm hoping to breed soon. I, I so when I talked about, I went to Tinley in 2019. That's where I saw your table. That's also where I first picked up my uh, Indian sand boas. There was one guy had a small little table, with like six Indian sand boa babies on it. And I bought a pair back then. And uh, I have to say, and I've said it before, they are the weirdest sand boa because they have a tail and it can wrap around you. And if you're not used to sand boas that do that, like, like if you're used to Kenyans, I wouldn't know what to do if I pick it up a It weirds you the hell out. You're like, why is this thing holding on to me? How does it do that? That Facebook user is Jason Milleradovich. Oh, Milleradovich. Everybody wants Arabians, Milleradovich. We know everybody wants them. Only one person has them and he's hoarding them all. It's the only reason I had them on this podcast so I can keep tabs on them. It's not like there's that many. <laughs> right. Um, 
how how big do Indians have? So this was a question I was wondering the other day, and it's something I couldn't really find online. I'm sure if I looked at my Sambo book back here somewhere, it probably says it. But how big do Indian Sambo females need to be? Because I kind of have an idea when I look at a female Kenyan, but I know Indians yeah. get bigger. Now, the Indians, um, I don't know. Uh, I've actually not read Indians. Uh, I've read, uh, you know, Russians and Arabians, Kenyans. But uh, uh, the, the Indians, I'm not sure what, you know, if there's like a, a minimal – uh, weight requirement you'd want to breed. Uh, I do know it takes a bit longer uh, yeah. to get them to age, maybe four years, something like that. Yeah, that's what I'm coming up on is is year four now, and it's. But I, I've kind of slow grown her. I know they. I mean, because they are the largest of the Samboas, getting almost like three foot. Um, and they're they're like I said, just the tail throws me off because you know mm. if you've ever had a Kenyan, I've always tell people that Samboas could like fall off the ground if it was possible. They don't hold on to anything. So to have a Sambo actually wrap its tail around your finger to hold on, it's an odd feeling. But they are such a cool snake. Do you? You don't have rough scales. Someone asked about rough scales. You don't have rough scales, do you? I, I don't. I, I had a pair of those. I traded off, you know, a few years back. But so I've kept them, but I've never bred them. That's one that I'm coming up on. I think in a year or so to breed, and that's that's another cool one that I think should be seen mm-hmm. more. But size is always the thing when it comes to breeding. Like I can look at a female Kenyan and go, yeah, it's ready to breed. Although I'll go to some shows and see uh, like in a deli cup, someone was like proven breeder female. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, the thing's way smaller than the way I, <laughs> I breed my females. Um, so I guess I guess maybe I just my, – my Indians are probably ready. I'm probably just be like, hey, go at it. See what happens. But let's try to see. So who's the hey y'all? See, people need to log in so I can see their names in the chat. John, John Grant. John Grant. Oh, okay. Another when I told him that Rufus was on, he was like, I'm getting on right now. Oh, yeah, another Sambo, of course. Because he's a Sambo guy, too. Um, so, so what is your – I know my reason for it, but what is your reason for Samboas? Why Samboas? Because, again, most people that own – like, especially bigger snake people will make fun of Samboa people because we don't own retics or berms or something. Mm-hmm. But what's your hey, reason? Everybody's, everybody's got their thing, right? I guess. But, uh, but yeah, um, you know, I, I guess uh, when I first saw the Kenyan Samboas, it, it was actually – it's probably about uh, 25 years ago or so uh, at uh, in Texas, uh, East East Texas uh, Herp Show there. And, um, uh, you know, the, there was a, a guy who had a pair um, of breeders there on the table and uh, some of the babies. And this is the first time I've ever seen them. And they just looked really bizarre. Yes. And I'm kind of attracted to like very unique uh, looking creatures, I guess. And so, um, you know, they have those those eyes that are just turned up uh uh, on their head and uh, the pattern to me having that orange kind of down the middle of the back instead of on the sides I thought that was kind of inverted everything about them just looked like it was uh, almost like there's something wrong with it uh, just it was really bizarre and so that really intrigued me I said I gotta have a pair of those and so uh, anyway it's that's kind of how it started and then you know back then there were only a couple of color morphs to work with um, but uh, but I also um, was able to obtain some uh, Dodomas, you know, not uh, long after I kind of got into it. And, um, uh, you know, I thought those are really attractive, the colors and everything. And I guess that's really what kind of kept me with those Sandboas is um, I really like the different color patterns, the really vivid colors they have. Um, and also they're easy to keep, you know, I've kept several other species of reptiles um, you know, throughout the years, but the uh, Sambo is just one of the easiest ones uh, to keep. It's it fits my lifestyle pretty well. They're definitely the, the most forgiving species I own. Like, if a water bowl goes dry for some reason, 
They're good. They're fine. Like if my rainbow bow babies, if the water bowl goes dry, I just lost rainbow bow babies. Yeah, they're pretty tough, you know. Uh, I, yeah, I would th- and actually the Russian sand boas, I think, are probably the toughest uh, out of all the ones that I keep. Um, they're very tolerant of extreme temperatures. Um, you know, they're not very picky when it comes to, to food. Uh, they'll eat live frozen thawed, uh mice, rats, birds, <laughs> you know, baby chicks, lizards. So, yeah, I, uh... so yeah. I, I like my black Russians. That's uh, they're they're still young, so they're a ways away from breeding. But that's one of those ones that falls in that category that I find weird of things that you can drop to a temperature that seems way too low <laughs> for them to make it. Uh, do you? Cause you've bred them. How low do you get yours when you brewmate them, or do you brewmate them? I do. Uh, yeah, I always have. Um, so um, I, I like to tell people I, I don't know if you have to do it, but it it, it is what works for me and. Um, yeah, I get them down to at least 45 degrees. And so uh, um, I've had them lower than that before. Uh, no ill effects, uh, you know, all the way down to in the 30s. But but I think a good safe uh, level is, is right about 40 to 45. Did it feel unnatural the first time you did it? It did. Yeah, it's a little bit stressful. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think that's the thing with most people. You know, we're used to keeping keeping these animals warm all the time and and, uh, but you know, when you look at where they come from and you realize how rugged of an environment they live in, and when you, you look at what type of climate they're, they're from, where they have six months of winter and three months of that being where the highs are maybe in the thirties, um, you, you know, they have, uh, they're well suited and adapted for, uh, those colder temperatures. And, and I think it actually probably uh, has a part like exposing them to those cold temperatures has a part um, in um, in sort of kicking off this whole cascade of hormones that help them with reproduction. Yeah. That's uh, our buddy Miller Radovich, who, where we got our Russians from, just said in the chat that his newborns are at about 50 degrees right now. Uh, yeah. And that's that's another thing. You get, if you get newborns, if they aren't eating um, or if you just want to – if they aren't eating, you can, you can just cool them down, cool them down to 50 in a wine cooler. Um you know, some people just go on ahead and put them in. Don't even try to feed them. Uh, maybe wait to their first shed, stick them in the cooler, uh, you know, a couple of months, bring them out, and they're ready to go. Let's, uh, I got rubber boas, too. And the first year I put my rubber boas in the cooler, Katie's not here, but she would tell you, I, I was a nervous wreck the I was, entire time. I'm here. You're I here. Yeah. You. <laughs> I, I checked them. Awesome. Like, at one point, there was ice on the box, and they're still crawling around in there. I'm like, what, what is wrong with you guys? Like this, I'm not used yeah. to this. Well, Travis found one in the snow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I did. The only problem was I did have well, last year when they came out of brumation, uh, my, one of my males ate and then died shortly after. And that, that I was like, what the hell happened there? But I am, I am debating whether to brumate them this year or just feed them. Cause they, they just grow so damn slow. But right now they are, they are hungry. I don't, it is crazy. I went to go take one out the other day and they never bite, but unless there's food. And I knew I was like, you know what? Let me not reach hand first into this one right now. So I just took the hook and like tapped it, and it comes out mouth flying around. And then I got it out. It was great. <laughs> but I was like, all right, so you're hungry, even though I'll feed it like three or four pinkies at a time because they're nestrators. But right. I thought about not not putting them down this winter because they're not breeding. I'm not ready to breed them yet. They're still young. But yeah, I'd I'd say there's always just a little bit of risk uh, when you when you put them down uh, to that cold, you know. Just it just doesn't feel right. 
<laughs> Someone yeah. said a hook for rubber. Yes, I used a hook for a rubber because I don't feel like getting bit. I don't like getting that was, bit. That was John. I figured it was John because he, he'll get bit by anything. He doesn't care. No. I don't think he has feeling in his I thought hands. it was hilarious this weekend that that boa of yours bit Brittany. Oh, yeah. And then he goes over and takes it to Joe and he Nothing. tries to get it to bite him and it won't do anything. Yeah, no, struck at me when I put it in the container to take it to the show. Struck at Brittany when she got it out. Joe booped it in the face with his finger. Nothing. <laughs> like, son of a bitch. <laughs> Broke the snake. Uh, anyways. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm a big fan of of goofy uh, fossorial snakes. I've actually, I'm getting super excited. I'm getting uh, calabars tomorrow in the mail. Oh yeah, that's sweet. Huh? Yeah, uh, our buddy, uh, mine and Jason Miller, average's buddy Travis Wyman's getting was getting rid of his and offered him up. So uh, we're splitting the group, and Miller average is getting three, and I'm getting three, which means after the show, I've got to figure out where they're going because I haven't actually figured that out yet. Uh, but I promise, Travis, when you hear this, they'll have a home somewhere in this house but i'm super excited about calabars because that's another one that no one really breeds that i think is a cool snake that should be in the hobby because it is so weird but i i also where was it i gotta pull it up there's another snake that i have to add to my list of things that i want i didn't know that i wanted it until someone posted in our group oh nathan posted it it's a i'm gonna screw the uh some sort of dwarf boat i can't i'm not gonna try and, and pronounce the uh the name in front, some sort of Mexican dwarf boa. Your daughter just scared the crap out of me. Oh, she's going upstairs. <laughs> Hi, Joe. <laughs> but uh, someone posted it over in our discussion group. It's the Waxican? Oaxacan. Oaxacan. Okay. That makes sense. Oaxacan dwarf boa. And, and the Oaxaca does not sound anything like it's spelled. No, not at all. It's like, it's like looking at words in yeah. Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. No, but this thing looks amazing. It's like this gray. It's almost like if you took a file snake and a rubber boa and mixed mm-hmm. it together. I need this. Yeah, it's pretty cool looking. And it probably only eats like some lizard found in Mexico and I'll never get it to eat in captivity. But I want it. And now I'm adding it to my list of weird things that live underground that I need. Uh, but yes, I'm trying to see. Someone said rubber boas never bite. That is not true. That is not true. If they think you're a mouse, they 100% will bite you. Both of those comments. All three of those comments are Jason's. No, no. Uh, I'm trying to like, read all the comments. So he said, agreed about cool cooling, setting them for better reproduction. Some same with his rubbers and rosies helps the sperm production in males. Yeah, I knew that. Um, but it just doesn't feel right for a thing that you keep, especially with like, the Russians. For a thing that you keep it 90 degrees to then go, hey, it's 45 degrees. Yeah, but that's what happens in their natural environment, you know. So uh, they they have really hot summers and really cold winters, though. Think about here, yeah, right now. It was in the 40s last week, and today it was 87. Yeah, that's true. And then Friday, the house like 50. Just, so you think about what like our speckle kings and stuff go through. Yeah. And they'll come out like if that's that's a weird thing about those things. Like, well, like Travis found that rubber boat coming out. That's probably that was probably a warm day, even though it was snow. Mm-hmm. They'll come out on those warm days, even if there's well, still snow. Russell told me that um, his socatas would come out when we had the when it snowed a couple years ago yeah and then it was warm like it wasn't really warm but the sun was out he opened the door on their thing and they came out and laid in the sun yeah for a little while they didn't stay long but they came out and absorbed some uv and then went back in their barn yeah he said they were moving pretty slow (laughs) (laughs) you're on ice uh our buddy jt asked uh if you keep rosy boas i need to mention them earlier i i don't keep rosies no i've never had those yeah I do have some of those too. I, I'm thinking about getting more rosies. Although that's a snake that bites. Every baby that I've ever had born. Everyone I've ever handled has bitten me. 
Yeah, everyone. Everyone that's ever... I mean, they eat really well once you get them started. I, I still have some babies. I'm trying to get started, but... Uh, so, of all the Sambos you've kept, what is your favorite? Oh, it's tough. Uh, you know... Probably the Russians, I think. You know, I might tell you something different tomorrow. I don't know. I like them all, but I guess we've been talking about Russians. I'm thinking about them. I like, I do like them. Uh, I could say better than keeping Arabians. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, really, I guess overall, Russians. Do you have a, are you like, you really like black Russians? Or are you across the board, any of them? I, I really appreciate all the the different sort of phase color phases and patterns, but uh, uh, I think that super black, you know, that's uh, that's what I really like the most. Yeah, that's that's what both mine and Robert's are, man. It is it is, it is so cool, especially like in a, in a day where everybody like loves Mexican uh, king snakes. And I'm like, yeah, but this thing's so much cooler. <laughs> it's it there's, doesn't get as big. There's literally one observation of Oaxacanboa on. Uh, I know. I'm naturalist. One. One. It's probably that picture that I got posted. I'm to get it to pull up. Okay, so so what you're saying is I probably can't get one. Probably not. Okay, well that sucks. I want one. Now I want it even more. Well, maybe not. it's right. Be- it's right below uh, Arabian Samboas. God, that is such a cool looking snake. Mm-hmm. Damn. Okay. Cool. Anyways, well Hawkins, I uh, I need that. Um. So I was looking up, I had pulled up your, your morph market earlier because I, I go on morph, I have no money, so I can't buy anything on morph market now, but every now and then I go on there. Um, the genetics, again, are not like, so like ball python people look at it and they go, oh, whatever. But there's a lot of cool genetics, I think, in like Kenyans right now that, um, and then there's some that don't make sense. How do you pronounce, I'm going to say it without saying the name of it, the locale of Kenyan that produces stripes, how do you pronounce that? Rufescence. Rufescence. Okay. I've heard I've heard that, and then I've also heard it with like a hard C, Rufescence. And so mm. I never know actually what's right. Well, I'm not, I don't claim to know that I'm <laughs> right. I just, uh, that is the way I've always said it is Rufescence. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I've ever actually looked it up uh, or not. That's a, a weird gene because like it doesn't work in any of the normal ways that you would think. Because I've had people tell me they've bred – you know, a striped one to a normal and then got all stripes. And then people breed stripes to a normal and get like half stripes. And I've heard some mm-hmm. on occasion stripes to a normal and get no stripes. I'm like, well, how the hell does that work? Like what, <laughs> what is that gene doing? But it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure, especially if you're not getting any stripes at all. If you're yeah. getting some stripes in that first generation, you suspect it's some sort of dominance, you know, it's a, I, I'm a fan of, of, of stripes of which one reason I like paint. Paint is another one. I know you have that, but the paint gene I think in Sambo is is awesome, and I'm a I'm a paint over splatter person. I'm not a huge splatter fan, but I love that thick stripe. And I was looking at some of the ones you have on on Morph Market, and I, I need money is what I need is what I'm realizing. <laughs> uh, that's my my problem right now is I'm I, yeah I'm the, the paint's great, especially for you know putting it in with other combos and everything. It's it's really cool. So. My whole reason I love Sambo, that's my whole reason, but one of the big reasons, I grew up a Beetlejuice fan, and they remind me of the sandworms from Beetlejuice. Every time I see the black and white striped ones, whenever I sell Annery ones to someone, I always reference that movie, and I realize I'm getting older now, so it's less people are getting the reference now is my problem. It's because not everybody has seen Beetlejuice. Right. But 
Well, there'll be a new one coming out next year. That's true. They are they are making the sequel, which I don't know how they do that. How do you how do you bring someone in who is definitely aged, but their character is not supposed to age? That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's definitely older now. Yeah, but he looked oldish. I mean, I think they'll do. I think it'll be fine. He's also he, the, he said when he read he went he read like six scripts before he said okay that one's good because they were going to ruin it with the first five. I could see that. He's the only reason the new Flash movie was any good. I haven't seen it. He's the only. You can just fast forward to his scenes. Gotcha. The rest of it sucks. Michael Keaton is amazing. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, like he couldn't have made Beetlejuice without him. Set the part two. Yeah, and then See, uh, I told you we ended up talking about pop culture at some point tonight. Yeah. Here we are. It's all right. Um. So how do you house most of your sandwiches? Because that's I'm. I know housing is always people, but how do you house most of your sandwiches? Um, uh, mo- most of the ones I have are in just various types of rack systems. Yeah. That was one. Of, I feel like it's one of the snakes where racks work really great for Samboas. I think so. Uh, you know, some display cages, uh, that would work fine for them, I think, but, um, where it seems to work best or where the racks seem to work best is when they're babies, especially, you know? Yeah. They, they it's just there's a safety. I mean, they feel safe. They eat better and something like that. I think so. It, it's probably more natural in some ways. Uh, I know it's not natural completely, but uh, if you think about a small snake when it's born, um, you know, they're the more they're exposed, the more they're not going to be out traveling around. They get picked off by birds and yeah. lizards and things like that. And so, uh, if they can find uh, you know a nice, dark, warm place to stay. After they've eaten, they're gonna they're gonna stay there, you know, until they get hungry again. Yeah, why would they and, move? Right. I mean, uh, no no chance or no. There's no reason for them to risk losing their lives, you know, moving around and and uh, trolling around when they're that small. Yeah, and they're spending most of their life covered in the ground. Bear, bear, there's that one story. I think it's like in the it's in the Sambo book where it talks about one that was eating a bird. And it may have fallen out of a tree. And I'm like, okay, one weird Sambo climbed up the tree and grabbed that bird, but that does not make them an arboreal snake. <laughs> so I'm like, you don't need a 20 tall tank for them all the time. Don't be wrong. They may climb, but that is not going to be the bulk of their time. That is, I guess that's JT. Yeah, my favorite rack is anything that holds the V15, V18, V35S tubs because it kind of works across the board, I found for Sambo is from baby to adult. Yeah, those are good. Although he has the pencil one, no one makes the pencil tub racks anymore. Mm-mm. Do you make pencil? Oh, that's right. Yeah, do I a little Kluber hatchling rack? That's true. You do have pencil tub racks. Yeah, it's just so small. It is, but it would work for uh, apparently Arabian Samboas because they come out super Tiny. small. But uh, so, what are you working on breeding wise right now? What is what is the direction you're going with with your Samboas and all? Well, uh, you know, I guess it depends on the species we're looking at, but, uh, the Arabians, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying to get them to reproduce period. Yes. <laughs> so there's the goal there, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, now with the, uh, Russians, you know, I, I do have, um, a few projects with the, uh, uh, albinos, the golden albinos. Um, you know, those are relatively new. There's only a few of those out there. Uh, I've never bred, uh, you know, two of those together just to see what happens. I suspect you'd get all albinos of some type. Um, so, so anyway, that's that's a uh, project that I'm working with with the Russians right now. It's those golden albinos. 
Um, also always trying to improve the super blacks. Yeah. Um, and, uh, then on the Kenyan side of things, have, uh, several projects. Um, you know, one that I'm sure a lot of people have going is like, um, you know, your paradox paints of different types, paradox albino paints, paradox snow paints. Um, I'm trying to do that with a little bit of refessens in there. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen the like refessens paints. Uh, they, some of those, uh, come out, I, I just call them paint stripes. I don't know what else to call them, but, um, they have that broad, uh, stripe like a paint, uh, but it's kind of has a fuzzy border. Um, you just have a different look to them. And it's what I believe is probably the expression of the stripe and the paint, you know, at the same time. Yeah. And so, it, you know, I'm trying to do that, but with the, uh, paradox uh, albino in there as well. Yeah, the, the paradox in, in Sambo is, is neat. The the two different albinos are really cool, and, and I know people do it. I'm, I'm not a fan of when people mix the two albinos, just because it makes things confusing later on. And I'm just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I know some people do. They mix them, and they'll make. It, but it's not my thing. Yeah, I think it's I think it's coming. I think that a lot of people are. Uh, well, I mean, I know a lot of people are doing it. I think that's just going to be um, the way it goes. You know. It's going to be tricky people buy, mm-hmm. buying them, you know, especially buying yeah. them secondhand or something. Cause you can't always see the paradox in, in like, I know I've seen some pictures where you can kind of see slightly darker white spots on, on some of the albinos, but like, you can't really see the paradox. Like you can in pure paradox albino. Mm-hmm. And for, for us paradoxes for my listening, if you breed paradox and a lot of other stuff, like, you know, it's crapshoot like in, in ball pythons, right? Right. It's crapshoot. If, if it's paradox, it's not genetic. It's, you know, enjoy your, it's a your, true paradox. Yeah. Enjoy your weird looking snake. But for us, it's, uh, it's paradox, but it doesn't feel like it's, it fits the definition of paradox. Well, it's that paradox albino. It's one thing, you know, it's just yeah. one, uh, in uh, one recessive trait. And, um, it's just happens to be on a different allele than the, um, than the albino. Yeah. But it just, it feels weird because, like I said, most people, when they hear paradox, they think an animal with weird, you know, an albino animal with weird spots. It is an albino animal with weird spots, but it's it's reproducible. We can make, we can make more of them. And so I really like what, I like both. I like paradox albino because if anybody's ever seen one, it's the big splotches of black or brown on an orange snake. But I really like when you mix it with a stripe because then you get just a ton of speckling. You don't get the giant blotches. You get a ton of speckling all over the body. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it kind of breaks it up. I like that too. Yeah, and, and I, I like one that's that's got a lot of pattern. I know um, if anybody that follows Sambo's, Pamela's got a couple that are are amazing that have some really good uh, speckling. Um, and I've yeah. got I got one of her paints. I was lucky enough to win. She always did like giveaways. I was lucky enough to win a paint from her like two years ago. Uh, and so I'm raising up some paints, one from her and one from, I forgot where I got the other one from. Anyways, uh, there's only like four people I buy snakes from and the Sambo is from. <laughs> so you, you are on my list, uh, Rufus. I'm just waiting for the day that you can sell Arabians. Hey, if, if I can help you, just let me know. <laughs> John, John Grant says he wants to know where he gets on the list for Russians. John, for Arabians. Arabians. J- John, you don't get on the list for Arabians. Nope. You can just sit there. And then whenever I can finally get Arabians, and then you can finally get Arabians. <laughs> it's, you have to wait. He's going to go on a mission to find them now and with all his contacts. He can try. I know. <laughs> It'd be impossible. 
Good luck on finding them. He could get in a, a Oaxacan probably before. That, that. <laughs> why? Why is it so hard to get? Her? I mean, I assume it's location. No one goes there. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, I've I've not really looked uh, in depth at, at trying to get them imported, so um, I'm not sure what the challenges are. But there must be some sort of hold up there, I guess. I mean, because you can get Saharans in by the truckloads. Mm-hmm. but you never see Arabians. And as much as like those pictures of them float around because everybody loves the goofy eyes on top of the head, you would think that that would drive someone to bring them in and try and sell them, but that hasn't done anything either. Trying to read no, I, I don't know if um, if anyone else might know, any of your audience maybe, I don't, I don't know why um, they haven't been imported yet, unless they're, uh, do they require a Southeast permit maybe? That's, I didn't know. I think yeah. that could be true. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, that's cool. And uh, JTS, if you do anything with Saharans, we talked about that earlier. You don't have Saharans. I, I don't. I, I, they're uh, very intriguing animals, like you had mentioned earlier, too. Those reduced pattern ones, I really <laughs> like them. But uh, I've not worked with them. I like the idea of breeding them just to see the the weird egg they produce. Because yeah. it, it's, you know, it's like paper thin and you only incubate it for a week or two, which is just so weird. But again, like with the Arabians, I imagine it dries out very quickly if you don't keep it humid. I would think. I mean, with the Arabians, you know, you, you've got to keep it as about as humid as you can without them getting wet. You know, yeah, that, that's tricky. Very tricky. If they get wet, they're you know they go downhill quick. Ugh. So that's mm-hmm. well, that's another problem with the, the Arabians. Is again, I'm waiting. I mean, the, the Saharans. I'm waiting on a captive bred Saharan baby. But the problem is you can import them for almost nothing. So no one's really breeding. No one wants to go through that problem of trying to breed them and then deal with those eggs. And so it's, it's yeah. Tricky. And I wonder, I wonder looking back if that's part of kind of what happened with the Arabians, you know, they were imported there for a while and, um, um, you know, a few of us bred them then, but, uh, I just don't think there was that much, you know, a, a drive, I guess, yeah. uh, incentive for people to breed them at that point. Cause they were still coming into the country and they just probably got overshadowed by a ton of other snakes that one are far more popular either because they're easier to breed or because of all the different mm-hmm. colors and this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one that I like seeing every now and then though is, is the rough scales, which I have, I'm, I'm looking for those. I think those need to be bigger because those are, those have a cool like viper look to them. They look like a little saw scale viper or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. So I think I love Sambo's. I think they're cool. I think more people should think they're cool. Uh, yeah, <laughs> hey, they're great little snakes. They yeah. are. You, I mean, you sell them when you take them to shows. I sell tons of them, especially when you bring the adults. Yes, that that is. I found that makes it much easier. And you and you have some of your shows too. Yeah, I, I think it helps to bring the adults. Not not just from selling, but education. You know, just educating the um, the general public. Uh, people come by all the time. They want to know, hey, what does it look like when it's an adult? You know, what's an adult female look like? The the male, so on, so. So yeah, for that reason, I like to bring some, um, you know, mature adults along and have at the table, uh, so everyone can kind of see what they're getting into, you know. Well, and some of you walk by, and I'll have sambos, and they go, "Boa, these get big." I'm like, "No, no, 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 oh. no!" I'm like these, these are very small, and mm-hmm. and then it's very easy because you know someone wants to how big they get, and they're sex for anybody another sexually dimorphic. Your females are much bigger than your males. And so when you can show someone a male and they go, Oh wow, that's as big as it's going to get. It's a really good selling point. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes. Yeah. Even though a female, when we say big is, is not big. 
Like, no. If, if someone's held a, an adult ball python, that's like three times the size of a female Samboa, or at least of a Kenyan. Um, but yeah, and then again, the argument for people is always, well, you never get to see them. I'm like, you see things when you take them out. When you hold them, that's take it out and hold. You it. do, you know, when you when you interact with them is when you see them. I, I just look at them like. Um, I appreciate all types of snakes. And so like, uh, think about like a green tree python. Um, I guess you could say about it, like, well, you can't hold it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you can look at it like a goldfish. And if that's your thing, great. You know, you get a, get a, a green tree python and, and enjoy just staring at it. But if you like to interact with a snake and interact with a snake that, uh, that is also beautiful, then that's where the sambo has come in. I think, you know, and they got that cool shovel head. It's, it's like the first thing people know. They go, that head looks weird. I was like, it's a shovel. It's made to dig in the sand. I mean, they are perfectly designed for where they live. They are short and fat. And I always tell them, you know, it's a sausage. They're short and fat, but it's all muscle. And you know it's all muscle if you've ever surprised one and seen how fast they can strike from underneath the bedding. Yes, they can. It is insane how quick they are. And grab your finger and wrap up. That is why I I, I keep it. And JT's going to laugh at me. But I always have a cage hook just so I can, like, tap it so it's like wake up before i reach in there and grab you because i mean they can turn quick yeah and it doesn't feel good especially when you get the small parts of your fingers like i get they're small but those teeth are sharp do you find their strike like i it's hard to explain to someone how fast their strike is yeah i think uh, um i could see where people would underestimate them you know just looking at them thinking oh that you know that can't do much damage but uh yeah, they, they have a very quick, hard strike, you know. Like a gaboon viper. They look like the fat, slow snake, and it's the, one of the yeah. fastest strikes that there is. Yeah, when the one move that counts, all you got to yeah. do is catch something. That's yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Like I said, to me, it's it's such a cool snake. And, and for people that are getting their first snake, I find I, – I get the babies are very small. But <laughs> once they hit about a year – it's kind of like how I feel at corn snakes. I think corn snakes are great once they hit about a year. But Samboas, the great thing about them as babies, they're small and slow moving. Um, so I think for small kids, they're a great way to get into it. And I mean, I don't, yeah. know, I don't know a better beginner snake to me. I, people will say ball python, but we all know some of the issues with keeping a ball python. I mean, the, the you know, it's I guess it's different for everyone. But um, I, I've had a lot of people that buy from me in the past that. You know, they really, really weren't into snakes. They, I mean, they were interested in them, but they're a little bit more reserved uh, about getting a snake. And um, I think they just find the sambo is a little bit less intimidating. Yeah. You know, maybe because of that look uh, that they face, have. Those and, big eyes. Yeah. yeah so, like, uh, as a beginner snake, I think it, it can be really, as long as the, you know, person's educated about what they need. Um, yeah, I think sambos are great for beginners. And, um uh, you know, uh, like I said, they, they just usually don't find them very intimidating. Yeah, man. Like it's much easier. I found talking moms into snakes. If it's a Samboa versus some of the other stuff, cause they don't, they don't have that triangular shaped head of like boa constrictors or ball pythons and everybody, you know, we, a lot of people grow up with that, that triangle shaped head being the fear part of a snake. You know, you always hear if it's a triangle shaped head, it's venomous. And even if they know that a Python or a boa, like a boa constrictor is not venomous, I think, Seeing that scares them. And then you look at a Samboa that just has no neck. It just goes from body to, to nose. It's, you know, it's a lot less scary. Yeah, yeah very non-threatening look to them, I think. Yeah. Let's see. Jason Miller, when pulling newborn Russians out of the mom's cage this summer, one of the tiny babies grabbed 
uh, onto and constricted around his son's finger. And it took a few minutes to realize it wasn't edible and then released. Uh, yeah, which is different than someone like people that buy hog noses, right? That's another one that I don't think is a great beginner pet, but you see them sold as a beginner pet. A hog nose bites onto you thinking you're food. There's a part of his brain that doesn't work. It doesn't turn off and think that it's not food. And it will try to eat your finger all the way down to your elbow if it wants to. Uh, so, again, Samboas trump other snakes. They're better snakes. Everybody should buy Samboas. <laughs> and you can, Of course. <laughs> yeah. And you can fit more of them in your house than you can a retic. So, oh, yeah, for sure. Much better than a retic. Yeah, just a few more. <laughs> just, just a few. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to go through a couple of the genes with with some of the samples, just for me that's not used to them, because I know a lot of people are used to anery and normal. Because for a long time that was kind of kind of what you had. It was samples are either black and white or orange and black, and those are your two options. Um, but just a couple of things like uh, we talked about paint gives you that thick that thick border, and paint is a recessive trait. Um, what about the, the – I've got one that's GX paint, but you've got some GX paint stuff available. So what's the GX part? Yeah, the, the, the GX is kind of an abbreviation for GeneX. And um, it's um, – if you're looking at just a pure GeneX animal, uh, it'll have a reduced pattern and a very reduced head pattern or no, no head pattern, you know, at times. Uh, like no uh, – one thing, I guess, that's, that's very characteristic of all the GeneX is they, they won't have any of the – postocular stripes, you know, no, no eye bars. Yeah. Um, so they, if I'm not sure if you're familiar with the domas, but they will, um, they look similar to the yeah. domas. I do uh, so a- anyway, that's, that's the gene X. You can think of it as like a mutation that is sort of a pattern reducer. Um, and you can, you know, mix that with other morphs as well. And so the gene X paint is just the paint where you get that nice, um, clean head is it recessive like paint it well uh not like paint but yes uh, so uh i would say the closest way the best way to describe it is yeah it's closest to acting like a recessive um i guess that the the person that first produced paints and genex paints was jeff holloway yeah. And the way he describes it is like, well, it acts like recessive, but it's not straight recessive. And uh, so here, I guess here's here's what uh, he means by that. And what I've observed that kind of aligns with that is that if it's straight recessive, like albino, breed albino to albino, you're going to get all albinos, right? Breed gene X to gene X. You might not get all gene X. <laughs> so it's kind of like how stripe is confusing in, in them as well. You won't, yeah. you won't always get the numbers you think. No, but however, I don't think it's, you know, in giving people an idea of how it works to say it's recessive. I mean, um, it, it is along those lines. It's gotcha. the numbers come out very close. I do have a Dodoma and, and you definitely notice the head is very similar, that, that nice clean head. Yeah. Um, but the Dodomas are just so pretty. That's one thing uh, with, with Sambo's you have the, the genetics and then you also have some like the locale stuff like technically stripe is a a locale version of samboa uh the refescence is is kind of a locale of the kenyan samboa and then dodoma is also a locale but in that is dodoma is that the same thing as fire well i'm i'm not sure uh, what what is fire 
I think there's a, I think there's one that's fire and it's, and it's just the, or maybe it's not fire. Flame. It's flame. Flame. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I'm not sure what, what flame might be now, I guess, but, um, years ago, so 20 something years ago, when, uh, when you would go to buy the domas, they were, those were flame, like the barkers, they originally called them flames. Gotcha. Yeah. They, and so they used that term flames and then, um, yeah, there was a transition over to kind of rebranding those as Dodomas. I think, you know, don't, uh, there may be more to the story than what I've got, but um, I think there were two things at least going on there. You know, uh, Dave Barker, uh, Dave and Tracy, they, they found out uh, later where those flames that they originally had imported, that they were from Dodoma, Tanzania. And so, you know, maybe they thought it was more accurate to call them Dodomas. Uh, because of that, you know, locale, but, um, uh, also at the time, I remember like on King snake classifieds, you know, yeah. they were, uh, uh, you would see someone would take a normal, uh, that was real bright orange and they would call it a flame. And, uh, so what happened is there were more people selling flames that weren't, uh, they weren't the domas. So then, um, I think that's where that distinction started to be made. People just started going, oh, okay, all right, well that, okay, if that's flames, well, these are the domas. <laughs> and so, um, I, I think that that's kind of my take on it, on, um, where the flames, that name was used. Yeah. Um, however, since then I've heard it used in other contexts and I'm, I'm not real sure, you know, I'm not real sure, uh, um, what it's used for now. Our buddy JT in the chat said, uh, he's, he's heard nuclear for Kenyans and then cow flame for Dodomas. Um, which I know both are bright orange, but. Nuclear, to my knowledge, more of a, a line bred thing uh, where they just breeding really nice normals together. Um, that's how the nuclears came about. And the uh, cow flames, um, you know, uh, those, I guess the best thing to do there, you reference the Sandboa book. Yeah. And, um, you know, they came from Warren Treacher. He kind of gives his take uh, on the cow flame and um, why he named it cow flame, that kind of thing. I can definitely tell though that my Dodoma is, I mean, it is much brighter. Like that orange is so much brighter than like some of my brighter Kenyans, just plain Kenyans. It, it glows because mm -hmm. it kind of, whereas normally like you, the dark colors bleed into lighter colors and the Dodoma, it's weird. It's almost like the orange bleeds into the darker pattern. So it looks like it kind of glows from the, from the orange. Yeah. That's the great thing about those is like they, they start off, uh, you know, as babies, they're just uh, very pale color maybe like a little orange uh or yellowish orange stripe down the back but then they just get brighter with age they just get better with age yeah um kind of you know this would be in contrast to what you see in like ball a lot of ball pythons ball pythons look killer as babies but <laughs> then they you're not that great as they age mm -hmm. and the domas it's you know it's the opposite and they stay they stay clean. That pattern um, doesn't get that speckling in it or that, you know, that orange doesn't get the, like the gray speckling yeah. in it. It's gotta be yeah. tricky to sell the babies for the Doma when they, cause, cause then you have to have an adult. That's where having an adult at a show goes, look, yes. this thing will look like this. I promise at some point. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of tough if you're like, eh, it looks like an annery with a little yellow stripe, but trust me, it's going to be bright orange <laughs> in a year. <laughs> you know? Yeah, not mm -hmm. lying to you. That's because that's yeah, another thing right. with, with just Kenyans. Like they are so variable from some. I've got some that are yellow and brown, 
yeah. some that are orange and black and everything in between. Uh, there's a ton of variability in just the normal coloration. There is. There's a lot of variability. And um, I, I almost think, you know, there's a lot of work that, that still can be done with. Uh, there, or, well, there's a lot of things out there that we just we see and people just aren't working with it. And we just don't know what it is and how it's inherited. Yeah, I, I think that I don't I think everybody works towards orange, but I think if more mm-hmm. people, some of you started working towards yellow, you could end up with a very yellow Sanbo because I've got some that are pretty yellow, but they're yellow with a lot of muted black and kind of mixed into it. And so they're not as clean. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wondered, like, um, you know, you're talking about the paradox albinos earlier and and um, some of those, um, they're, they're kind of like white and orange with the black uh, paradoxing, you know, but uh, but I've had a few and seen others that people have had that they have that real greenish look. And yeah. so there'll be the white and the, and it kind of like there's white and green in there. And, uh, you know, I, I've not ever taken the time to, to work with that extensively, but, um, you know, I just wonder about that. Is that reproducible? Can you enhance that? You know, can you get a green sand bow? That'd be pretty neat. That'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to read some of the things. Oh, JD said canary is what he's heard of the yellow lines called. Yeah. Yeah. I, canary did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a wide, and like I said, they're not all orange and black. I think a lot of people like orange and black, but I have a lot of that are orange and brown, mm-hmm. um, swatches. So I think there's, again, there's a lot of work that can be done through line breeding some of these things and cleaning up some of them. And I think that's a great thing about like mixing, you know, it, it maybe not so much to do them, but the GX into stuff, clean, cleaning it up. Some may help some, uh, in some of these situations. Miller says he would definitely take a green sand boa. I think everybody would be on board for a green sand boa. Yeah. That'd be um, cool. So I wanted to pull up the question that we asked this week on our, on our Facebook. So I, I got a question from me this week and we got a lot of answers and like in-depth answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's go through some impressed. of these. Huh? I was impressed. Yeah. We'll go through some of these and then we'll discuss them as well. But uh, the question was from animal husbandry and reproduction to genetics and morphs to aspects of business. How can we keep differing beliefs about these areas from becoming divisive within our herpetoculture community? That's crazy. I don't think we're divisive. We never argue. I was actually going to comment on there and say, we're not divisive. You're all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So let's go through some of these. Like I said, most of these answers were were pretty in-depth answers and pretty good. Uh, Ash Gelhouse said, I think ego and reactivity are the two big issues influencing divisiveness in the community. We all have the ability to learn and educate equally as soon as we all realize we don't, in fact, know everything. Speak for yourself. I'm, I'm good. I know everything. Uh, that we all have room to improve and learn. Then we can begin uh, being proactive. And by proactive, she means working. It means working to learn more, realizing age-old practices may, not, may no longer be acceptable or the standard, and making conscious efforts to do better for their animals and the hobby in general. I agree. Now, with that said, I don't always think because something is a new practice that it makes it better than an age old practice. I agree. Better or I should say it doesn't make it worse or better. I think in a lot of situations, what we've done for 30 years works and what we've done for five years works and they can both work at the same time equally. Yes. (coughs) You know, we, we talked about racks with, with Samboas and, you know, that's always a big discussion. People racks, cages, racks, cages, but sure. they work like <laughs> they work and they work just fine. Um, 
But I also agree that maybe a retake probably doesn't need to go in a rack. They're a very active animal. They like to move around a lot. Uh, maybe babies. Yeah. But but yeah. Wedging a big one into some of the smaller tubs that I've seen them do. It, right. it may not be the best. But no. my Samboas are perfectly happy sitting on the heat, just sitting there with the head poked right above the Aspen, waiting for a mouse to come by. And yeah. just staying there. So, But I agree. I agree That's with them. Uh, Jamie Lee Kozler said, this is a long one, I honestly don't think they can completely do away with disagreements. Uh, there will always be egos and emotions that get in the way. I do want to stop there. I don't think we need to get away from disagreements. I think disagreements are how we grow as a hobby and, and grow in anything. We, we just got to get away from argumentative disagreements. Yeah. When we start getting personal and cursing each other and, and taking it to that level instead of actually having an intellectual debate. Well, yeah, just because someone has a different opinion than you don't take it as a personal attack. Right. Which I think is a big problem. Big problem. And that's in a lot of things. Not it's not just the hobby. That's, that's human nature yeah. at this point, unfortunately. Uh, Jamie Lee also said, uh, that doesn't mean we stop trying. It just means that we don't always, uh, that we won't always be able to come to an understanding and we can't let that discourage us as individuals. We can just continue to educate based on fact rather than opinion or feelings. Stop trying to educate based on pure feeling and control the way we do it, uh, it as best as we can. Also, being open to other people's thoughts and suggestions can help. Um, and then our buddy Nathan Holcomb, who, again, go check out our uh, our website, thereptogumbopodcast.com, because Nathan Holcomb is awesome. And he did that all on his own because he's great. So I will definitely read his comment because I want him to keep doing my website. Uh, Nathan said, by growing up and realizing that people have differing opinions, realizing that it is their business and people should have the right to run it the way they want, it is all about majority. For example, if the breeder wants a spider morph ball python and 90% of the ball python keepers disagree with the morph and its effects, then simply let them get too many or wait for them to realize that it will not sell uh, and that he believes uh, to each their own. Uh, Rufus, what's your opinion so far? How do you, how do you feel about the uh, people doing, just letting people do what they do? Um, so, so like, yeah, in reference to the question, I, I think, um, uh, you know, um, just having maybe awareness and respect on people having different entry points into our hobby, you know, yeah. um, for example, uh, I may see things a certain way because my entry point was, you know, as a kid, I, you know, growing up, uh, in a rural area, being in the woods, catching snakes, catching salamanders and lizards, and uh, just, you know, learn about their behaviors from the time I was a kid. Um, and that just kind of grew and has evolved over time. But if I'm talking to someone that just got into this hobby three months ago because they saw a snake that they thought looked cool on Instagram <laughs> and they never even cat a maybe they never even had a pet cat or a dog. I mean, they're coming from a completely different place, you know. And so I, I think just when people make some comments or things that seem uh, very different than your view, I think it's important to look at, well, where are the other people coming from and, and just try to respect where they're coming from. Yeah. Well, and, and I think a hard, a hard thing for a lot of people, hobby we've talked about before is a large part of the reptile hobby are not people, people, right? They're not, they're not good at talking to other people. They're not, uh, the most socially, uh, well, they're very socially awkward. A lot of reptile people are very socially awkward. And uh, so when it comes to disagreements, disagreements get uh, 
get blown out, I think, really quick sometimes because they, they want to get their point across. And mm-hmm. sometimes you just got to pump the brakes and, and you've got to learn to educate without uh, upsetting somebody. And don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people that you, you can try and then you, you're just not going to get through to them. Like it happens and you have to just move on from that. But like someone who just gets in the hobby and they get a whatever because, again, they did they did see it online and it was pretty and it shined in the sun and they bought it and now they don't know what's going on. You can help them. You can educate them and not call them stupid right away. Mm-hmm. Right? That's Don't get me wrong. I call lots of people stupid, but they usually have earned it by the time I've called them stupid. Uh, mostly my students. But, um, but yeah, I, I, it's definitely a idea of try and educate them because – there are a lot of people. Look, look, as our hobby, we should want people to get into our hobby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should not want to keep it ours and be like, no, you can't be in it. We should want every, you know, suburban mom to buy their kid a bearded dragon, a leopard gecko, a snake, or whatever. Because it does nothing but help us. Right? That, that gets us away from that 1990s picture of the guy covered in tattoos and piercings being the reptile guy. It makes it more like us, where we don't look like your typical reptile. Well, right. we do look like the typical reptile guy, but not the typical reptile guy that most people think when yeah, they think reptile. Most people wouldn't meet like Jim Sargent. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, and be like, "That's a reptile guy." Yeah, clean cut. Yeah, really, because like it's that's not what you would expect. And he, yeah, or like Jerry Salmon. You yeah, know, guys like that. You, you know, and they, but they are, they are reptile or hell, guys. Kabilka. There's no way you yeah. meet Kabilka outside of his reptile room and go, "That's a reptile guy," right? He doesn't look like it. Right. Um, so it's all in how you talk to people. Uh, going through some of the other ones. This was one that uh, I would like to get y'all's opinion on this one. Because this is one I have. I have opinions on this one. But Catherine R. Frank said, create a reptile humane society and set ethical standards for enclosure sizes and husbandry at the species level. Rufus, what do you think about that? I mean, I think that would be, um, you know, I respect the thought behind it, but I think it would be difficult to do and to kind of implement, implement police, that type of thing. Um, so I, I don't think the necessarily the, the root of the thought or the intent of the thought is not bad, but, uh, um, it actually putting it into practice would probably be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That's not where possible. it, it, I understand the idea of policing ourselves, but that feels like police policing ourselves. Like that's not yeah. that, that that's a little much. And you know, look, there's humane societies for dogs and they're treated like shit all the time. Like it doesn't, it doesn't save the animals completely. Like, and there's tons of people that take care of dogs properly. And it may not be the way other people agree with it, but then there's people that are breeders who are registered breeders who mm-hmm. probably don't take care of them the way you think a dog should be taken care of. Yeah. I mean, even if you go to look at like, uh, I think where it become difficult is like, say if there was a minimum, you know, space requirement for a snake, um, and let's say that snake's not arboreal. Maybe it stays on the ground all the time. And, um, you know, what if you didn't have that minimum requirement, but you put things inside of that cage that increased the surface area of the floor space there and it gave it that room yeah. to run, that extra room to roam? You know, if they're short a few inches on space, but they compensate in that way, is that okay? Is it not okay? You see where it kind of gets tricky? Yeah. I, Putting these firm laws into place, I don't think fix the problem. Um, but I understand the, the the feeling behind it. Why I mean, you've seen like in Europe, where you've seen some of the if you ever watch any of the videos of reptile shows in Europe, there's minimum sizes to to the display that they can be in. Mm-hmm. Like you know, our American way of putting them in deli cups, they'll they'll flay you alive over there if you do that. 
Like it has to be in a large enclosure. I, I forget what it is, but it's like <coughs> one snake in like a 20 gallon tank for sale at an expo. Like not, not anyways, it's not permanent housing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird thing over there. And I, I get the idea that you feel like the animal, it should be humane, but look, I think most of us can agree if, if an animal's, if a snake is in a deli cup, a pro- appropriately sized deli cup for three days for a show, it's probably going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, how many times does that snake, if it was wild, sit in the nook of a tree or in a hole for three or four days waiting to shed or waiting for food or waiting for the right temperature yeah. and not move? Right? So, I, I get where Catherine's coming from, but I think I think we should police ourselves within the hobby by understanding the right ways to do things versus actually passing laws where we have to call police to police ourselves. Uh, Erica McVeigh said, push unfollow on some people's posts and that will stop a lot of the fire, the fire fueling. Uh, and that, that was a thing over again. in a lot of these with social media, um, it definitely has helped. It has helped the hobby, but it's definitely hurt the, not just the hobby. It, social media has hurt humanity. I think as a whole, I agree. Um, Sometimes maybe you should just stop reading, especially if, if you're one of those people that, that do get bothered by reading other people's stuff. Like if you can't just read it and move on and be fine, then yeah. Well, like today, just an example. I have a friend who owns a crime scene cleanup business. Okay. Okay. He had a, a crime scene he was cleaning up. He posted a picture of himself in it. <coughs> I can't see anything other than all the cleaner on the floor because it foams up. Yeah. And he says it was a suicide. Well, somebody asked, was it a GSW or a hanging? And this lady comments, it's like 20 comments in. She's like, that's a very triggering thing for me. And I don't want to see that. You shouldn't ask questions like that. And I commented and I was like, ma'am, it's, it's not our job to police your triggers. And if you knew that that was going to trigger you, why are you reading the comments? Why are you in the comments? Scroll. Why are you in the comments on this post? On social media, you're allowed to keep scrolling. Feels like you were just looking for something to complain about. And that's everything nowadays. Uh, let's go through a couple more of these. Uh, my dad said, he commented, unfortunately, it would take a complete rework of human nature to keep differing opinions from being divisive, especially with the advent of social media and the internet in general. While we are at the top of the food chain, we are near the bottom of the common sense chain. Uh, this is what happens when the biggest competition is to win the football game or to prove that I keep my reptiles in a better rack than you do, as opposed to the animal kingdom where the greatest competition is for life. Uh, we do have to, we, you don't, uh, I'm sure there are some examples where I can find animals or do it, but animals don't really try to go, Hey, I'm better than you by just being, just being better than you. Like it's right. not, it's kind of a, a human thing. Like, Hey, I've got to prove that I'm better than you so I can feel better about being who I am. Um, <laughs> I like Danielle's answer. We can be grown ass adults about differences yeah. instead of deciding that someone else's opinion is a personal, personal slight. <laughs> yeah. I like that one. Um, go through some of those. <laughs> Jason Creekmore said, delete all Facebook groups. Uh, oh, this is the one you commented on, Graham Battison's. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the internet is a huge part to play. It used to be a hobby where truly passionate people had to make a real effort to learn and to, uh, to learn and meet others. Now you have a zillion people with an opinion they can throw in at the drop of a hat, ranging from people with zero experience giving husbandry advice, which we've all seen in groups. That happens all the time. Again, we go back to that person who saw Pretty Snake online, went to a show, picked it up, and then now they're the snake expert in whatever group they joined on Facebook. Uh, people with zero passion using animals as a leg up for YouTube fame. That's true. And people using bogus animal rights funded science to push their own ideological care agendas. 
people who cannot and will not listen to anything new. So yeah, that, those are issues too that, um, I don't know. It's tricky. It's it, human nature. I think is the problem where we're at right now. Um, but we definitely have to, you know, I've got said in the chat, uh, my dad said, there's, you know, there's more than one way to keep these animals. We've, there's definitely more than you can put a sand boa in a 55 gallon tank. You can hundred percent do it and you can do it right, but I'm not going to do it because it doesn't fit in my situation. Right. So, but Rufus, you want to give more, more of your two cents on this? How, how you feel? Um, yeah, you know, I think, uh, some of the issue really, it's like you guys were really pointing toward it, uh, throughout the discussion, uh, has to do with, uh, social media, you know, and just, um, what social media or just messaging on these forums, it, it doesn't allow for uh, sort of a good back and forth discussion. I think sometimes people uh, kind of talk past one another, you know, um, they, they both want what's good for the animal. Usually um, they just, you know, uh, one person may not be as educated as the other, or they may be kind of talking about the same thing and not even know it because, um, they're not able to have a, a discussion, you know, face to face. Yeah. And so I think part of it is just trying to deal with and figure out how to be patient and, and maybe ask more questions um, on um, social media when you see something that you don't like or don't understand, you know, that could be a good thing. The first, the first thing you reply should be maybe a question and not like, Hey, why are you a dumbass? Maybe that should not be your question. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but but to give them a chance to explain what they're saying again, not everybody. It's hard yeah. to read certain cues over the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think so. You lose tone, uh, cues of different types. I mean, yeah, I, I think I think so. Um, but uh, also, you know, just uh, experience. There's different levels of experience, and I think respecting that is another <laughs> thing that could help. Um, what is it called? Like uh, anthropomorphism where people just, yeah, they, they give uh, animals these uh, human like uh, qualities or, and so, you know, someone who's not very experienced, they may be, they may say to you, they may say, you know, that Sambo, he really needs to be in that 55 gallon because he doesn't, he's going to feel cramped, <laughs> you know, yeah. if he's in something smaller and, and they're just applying their feelings uh, or how they think they would feel. They, they don't maybe understand how that snake operates. They may not know that that snake is, um, you know, not like a black racer uh, out in the wild, uh, uh, you know, actively hunting down lizards and frogs, you know. Yeah. I mean, cause you always get the, my whatever, whatever loves me. And like, but does it like it tolerates you? Yeah. I mean. Until it can go get you roses and write you a card. We're not really <laughs> sure how it feels about you. Right. Yeah. But it's fine if they want to think it loves them, for, if it helps them take better care. But that doesn't mean that because I take care of my same animal differently, that I don't like my animal. Right. Right. That I have less respect for my animal. It was, we talked about, uh, because last week, I don't think you were here. Maybe it was the week before. When we, it was the week before when we talked about uh, Casey Cannon getting hit by someone in one of the uh, Brettles groups because yeah. his 10 year old Brettles male was smaller than theirs. I'm like, and they, and they started bashing him. Like he doesn't care for his animals. He doesn't know anything. I'm like, you don't know who you're talking to. Casey Cannon has bred Brettles for a long time, is very educated, knows he's what he's been doing. To Australia. And yeah, like well, he just, Australia just too. because he doesn't overfeed his snakes and get them large. Doesn't mean he's not taking care of his animal. 
right? And but again, that person thinks they're the they're the smart one, so they have to. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's interesting that you say that. Like, um, you know, some people are for say bioactive enclosures, but at the same time, they may not be for keeping them as naturally as that's what they would be in the wild. Maybe not feeding them for three or four months in a row. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I don't, I don't feed my stuff on. It's that whole, uh, my snake has to eat every Tuesday at eight. Like that's, that's not how that works. Like a lot of my animals are, are definitely smaller than other people with the same animal at the same age. Cause I don't feed mine on a weekly schedule. I feed mine when I don't, I, how do I say it without, I feed mine when I feel like I need to feed it. Yeah. Which is not always every week. Like I know some of my stuff, like look, my Samboas, Samboas can get fat. I'm, I'm sure Rufus has seen it. I've seen it. There are people out there with fat ass Samboas because an adult Samboa does not move a lot. It's got a pretty slow metabolism, but they will eat whenever you feed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a lot of people will love their animals to death that way. Yeah, but if you tell them that their animal's fat, they take it, they get offended and, and then they take it personal. And you're like, well, maybe. I didn't call you fat. <laughs> just your your snake shouldn't have fat rolls. I'm just saying, should not have fat rolls. <laughs> Miller Adovich, mine are Fridays at six. All of them. Good luck with that. Getting all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. Know. I just. We talked about this weekend. One of the things I see going to reptile shows, and, and you've probably seen it at reptile shows. You see these people that oh, we watched that happen this weekend. Well, you see these people that have never. They've never owned a, a reptile. And they go out and they buy their first whatever snake, right? And then they carry it around. And then when someone comes up to them who knows nothing about reptiles, even less than that person, because they've never been around them, well, this person's holding a snake, so they view that person now as a snake expert, and they'll listen to whatever they're saying. But that person doesn't have the experience, but they have no problem saying stuff. Yeah, the last person I'm asking for advice is the three people carrying their three snakes around on their neck at a reptile at a reptile show. show. Yeah. They're probably not the one, you know, they just bought them cause you can't bring them in. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's another truth. I've said it before. It's people will always believe what they heard from the first person they heard it from. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had tons of people ask me how to take care of this animal, this or that. And I'll give them advice and go, well, so-and-so told me to do this. And that's how it, cause that was the first person they heard tell them. And then they didn't branch out from that and, and, and learn more. They stayed with what that breeder told them. And it's got to be the only thing. Um, you got to be open. You got to be open to learn more stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a weird hobby because and any hobby is, like you said, Rufus, there are so many different levels that people are at at any given time in the hobby. Yeah. But not, not everybody realizes what level they're at. And, and so that becomes a problem. And then not everyone realizes what level that person they're talking to is at. And so that becomes a problem. Well, that that's true. And I think you can learn a lot by just uh, say, you know, a few guys have vended at shows. And so uh, like when I'm vending at a show, um, when I talk to one customer, maybe they have never kept a snake before. And then the next person that walks up to me, um, they may be like a seasoned veteran, you know, they may have bred sand boas for 20 years and, and I've just never met them before. Yeah. And so they start talking to me. I need to listen. You know, I don't, I don't just treat them like the last person that came by that never, uh, had never kept a snake. And so, uh, that's that, which kind of side note, that's a challenge for me at, at a show is to go from person to person and try to gauge, 
okay, where's this person at? What do they know about genetics? What do they know about just husbandry and reproduction for the sandboats, you know? Um, uh, so anyway, it's a, it's a good learning experience for me to be behind a table and to try to help people at these different levels. And um, so I think it would, it would kind of be good for everybody in some way to uh, go through that experience uh, so that, you know, you, you get used to that. I guess, and yeah. see in all those different levels. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. And and on that, I I unfortunately, and I know you've seen it at shows too, because it's just something you see. There are those breeders behind a table who believe they are the pinnacle of reptile keeping. And any advice they have to give is the advice. And then no matter who comes up to them, they treat them all as beginners, right? They, I, I, I've gone to tables, talked to people, and look, I've kept reptiles for over 20 years. I, I've gone to tables at shows to someone I've never met and, and they're, they're very condescending, condescending, even in the way they, they say hi, they may not, mm-hmm. they may not be condescending, but that may just be their personality. But like you talk to them, you're like, okay, but I, I know what I'm talking about too. Like we can have a conversation, but again, not all reptile people are people, people. And so some social cues and some abilities to talk to people in public are not their strong suits. Uh, and so again, I think even, even if you've been keeping for 20, 30, 40 years, you, you can treat everybody with respect when you talk to them and you can learn from anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to read Miller Ravage. So he cracked up the story Warren Booth told where someone told him, I don't know how much you know about Jeanette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I do love when, uh, when Warren Booth gets questioned about his knowledge on genetics online Yeah, or at a show, it's, you know, he has a doctor. It's cool. But, uh, uh, that, that, uh, I love that. Or when Travis Wyman gets hit with a, what do you know? <laughs> like a lot. He knows yeah, a lot. Well, where do I start? Uh, but, you know, we can all learn. And and all with, I agree with almost all of that, the comments That happened here. in the Black Panther group today. What? That guy, Brett Johnson, that's the biologist who's all about bears. Yeah. Some lady told him he needed to go do more research about the bears in East Texas. He's like, I literally have done all the research of the bears in East Texas. <laughs> uh, like any of it you read, that that's me. Um, cause she said they've increased their population sixfold in the last couple of years. I think he would know. Yeah. He's like, Oh really? Could you, could you cite that? Well, I heard it on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> can you, can you show me those bears? He's like, well, here's, you know who I am and blah, blah, blah. She's like, we need to do more research. And he's like, mm, noted. Thanks. <laughs> he's a lot nicer than I am. My, my dad said, Rufus has uncovered the ultimate secret to true customer service. Shut up and listen to your customer. He said, it's amazing how much you can learn about a customer by listening, which is true. Um, Again, and I've definitely realized in this hobby, you can't judge a book by the cover. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some books where you can get an idea by the cover. Oh, yeah. Uh, but there are a lot that will surprise you, you know. Like the one we could smell coming this weekend? Okay, that one's that cover smelled. I, I That's different. Oh, dude, that was, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> smelled from a mile. But uh, Jason Miller-Rage is part of the trick I've learned at shows is shutting up and listening. And another is smiling and nodding when it's not worth arguing. Definitely. Yes. More people. Just smile and nod. When they walk away, feel free to make all the jokes you want to with your friend at the table next to you. It's not worth your time. I agree. Just let them go. Uh, oh, there's so many times where I'm like, oh, yeah, you definitely have those in your backyard. Mm-hmm. You don't fucking have Samboas in your backyard. Stop yeah, that. We hear about bearded dragons a lot, too. Bearded dragons. I've seen those in my backyard. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure you did. It's, you know, some people just, they, they've got to tell their story. Uh, anyways, I'll get off the soapbox. Uh, I do want to go through some of the stuff in our, uh, in our discussion group. 
which I'm a Chris Eaton's not here, but I will go ahead and put it up on the screen so that Chris Eaton won't fuss at me because I talk about things on the internet that people can't see. I'm a little disappointed that Chris isn't here since he's not doing his show tonight. I know he could have been here. What a jerk. You know what? I hope he loses all that. Oh, wait a minute. He already did. That's not right. It's not right, but it's funny. Yeah, because he would say the same thing. He would. That one-legged bastard. Uh, anyways, let me pull up stuff from our discussion group. I'm sorry, Rufus. I know. We sound crazy. And and Robert is. Uh, speaking of crazy, <laughs> this was posted in a group. Um, Yeah, it's a person dressed as a chameleon. Saw that. Uh, I, I also noticed that Lee and Amanda did not comment on it at all, even though I tagged them in it to ask them what kind of chameleon this was. They did not feel the need to tell me what kind of chameleon it was. Uh, Carl Vargas did tell me that it's a karma chameleon. <laughs> so, um, reptile people are we? I'm not even sure that's a reptile person. This person is is different. Yeah. But uh, this was an interesting one. I did, I did not read it. I'm not going to lie. I read the title. I'm good by the title. Uh, Ancient Egypt had far more venomous snakes than the country today, according to our new study of a scroll. Now, are those the same kind of people then that would also tell you now cottonmouths will chase you? Right. Or that king snakes are breeding with rattlesnakes. Right. Like, did Egypt have those same kind of people? I would imagine they did. Any population has those kind of people. And was that the person that was writing the scroll? It's entirely possible. So, <laughs> how true is it? Also, it's not hard for me to believe that we've killed a lot of snakes since ancient Egypt yeah, to now. That seems like a uh, like a pretty finite statement based on something that, on very, very little evidence. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Interesting if there was. Uh Oh, this is another person. Uh, this is a person who didn't know. Who I, they, they started listening to our podcast. And I, I guess they haven't listened to enough of it before they commented and didn't expect the replies they were going to get. Look, I appreciate everyone that listens to our podcast. I promise to do. But understand, I'm a smart ass and you're probably going to get a smart ass response on certain things, especially if it's ball python related. Because if you've listened to it like two episodes, any two episodes, you'll realize I don't like ball pythons. I just don't. Uh, but this was thanks for letting me letting join. Only just started to listen to the podcast. Hate to say it. Uh, I, I, I'm going to have to fix it because of the way they typed. Hate to say it. It's Royal Python, not ball python. Uh, and they're actually, they're all, also in Europe. Yeah, they are in Europe. Uh, Graham Charman. Shut up. I get it. We just had this whole conversation about being nice to people. But I have my own podcast. I don't have to be. Uh, <laughs> Travis Wyman, I, I read this the other day. I forgot what it was. It, says, uh, it was a picture of an alligator. For anybody that's not watching for the radio people. It says, friends, why do you bring us out to the middle of this swamp to train? Would a flat range be better? Me. I'm helping you learn how to move quickly in difficult terrain. Release the swamp puppy. And then they, they release an alligator. Yeah. Um, snap and turtle. It's not a lot of snap and turtle stuff. Um, there's nothing about cats. Again, we all know outdoor cats are horrible. If you're a reptile person. If you're a nature person, reptile cats are, or outside cats are horrible. Uh, oh, this is one that you showed me, Robert. You want to explain what happened here? Uh, yeah, Rhett Sanberry down in Florida found two uh, dead eastern mud snakes on the road in a very short time span. And what did it say? How many babies? Um, 89? 88 see. babies? 88 eggs? They were 100 yards apart and he found 88 eggs. So that's 90 dead eastern mud snakes in a hundred yards which sucks oh that sucks that is such a cool snake the mud snake yeah again weird snakes that live in the ground 
Yep. I love my weird things to live in the ground, except this one eats Amphuma, so I can't keep it. Uh, and then, again, for anybody that didn't know, this is the boa that we were talking about, the Oaxacan dwarf boa. I want it. It's amazing looking. It's gray. I need one. So if anybody's taking a trip to Mexico anytime soon. Uh, just, that's like almost Belize. Okay. It's Please. like right there. Just throw it in a bag. I mean, it's illegal. Don't get caught. And um, I don't know if you can call That would be like saying, hey, man, next time you go to Houston, stop in Amarillo and grab me a... <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, this was a good one I saw. Someone shared, and you can appreciate this, Rufus. Uh, picture taking. If you're going to sell snakes in a business, especially with something like Morph Market, please learn to take a picture. Like, it's not that hard. And it doesn't have to be amazing. But things like, uh, you know, if it's in a tub, maybe even move the water bowl out and make sure the paper's dry and clean. Nice, good, clean picture of it. This, uh, this post also shows you all the different lights that it gets shot in. Pay attention to the light you're shooting it in because that will definitely make it look one way or the other it may not look so realistic as to how it is. I've seen, I've seen a lot of things posted, especially on some of the boa pages, some like hypo boas that were definitely shot a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way that snake looks like it is. It's definitely the light on it. Uh, uh, Jason Miller, said Rufus does photos really well. I agree. Your photos are really good. There's uh, yours and Pamela. When I'm looking at Sam boa pictures are done very well. Um, so what, what's your two cents in, in taking pictures to sell snakes? I mean, for me, everybody has a different way of displaying them. You know, uh, yeah. for me, it's uh, it's about the snake. And so I don't try to put a lot of other things in the picture. I don't want things that detract from the snake. So like personally uh, showing a water bowl or showing something like that, it's not that that's bad. It's just to, to me, it detracts from the focus of or, or the, you know, the whole purpose of that picture, which is to show you the, the snake. And so, uh, you know, and this is, of course, in reference to taking pictures of snakes for sale, right? Like on Morph Market. Yeah. Um, I don't want a lot of clutter. I don't want a lot. I just want the snake. That way people see this is what's for sale right here. And I want it to be represented uh, well and accurately, too. So uh, where you talk about the lighting, you know, uh, I do my best to get lighting that will, um, you know, where I can set and, and maybe look at that picture and look at that snake and go, that's, that's as close as I can get it right there. You know? Well, I like yours. Anybody go check out, uh, Rufus Darden reptiles on morph market. Um, you'll see his, your pictures are very clean. You've got this kind of gray background, very, uh, minimalistic gray background and the animals are front and centered focused and it's just them really well lit. Um, and it's not, Again, it's not not hard to do. Uh, you you don't even have to have a huge setup. You don't have to. I mean, I do have a light box, but you don't have to have a light box. But if you have one, you can find a cheap light box and set it up. That way, you get the same picture every time. Like I have a, uh, and I my my sinuses start to go crazy. But I'm I have a uh, a gray like tile that I went to Lowe's and bought, and it's a really cool looking like slate tile. And a lot of my pictures got taken on that. But the problem was with my recent litter of boas, um, my my red tail boas was. Uh, I unfortunately had Annery pop up. We've had this conversation on the podcast before, and we didn't want to have Annery, but Annery popped up. Annery does not look good on a gray slate tile because they themselves are also gray. And so that's when I found, you know, white. I went with a nice white background, but you have to be careful because, because again, lighting. Again, sit there. If you have a if you have a light box set up, it's very easy to put the animal in there. Look at your phone, look at the animal, kind of gauge it, and, and get the same thing every time. 
especially if you're someone who's going to be selling on a regular basis. If you're wanting to do this as a business, figure out your best way to do this. Um, Milorevich says, uh, says your composition always shows the animal well with good angles. Yes, the angles are important. Um, especially for something, I, if it's a regular Samboa, I may get like one just good picture because there's not going to be much difference from the backside of that animal. Like it's going to, if it's a regular Kenyan Sambo, it's going to be, be the same thing, but one good above, you know, kind of up above as much of the body as possible. Um, now if you have something in some sort of animal that has, does definitely a pattern that is different on sides or mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to want to get some good shots of the sides, the back, the front and, and posters on there, but pictures, please people try a little harder on some of your pictures. Uh, Especially if you're going to have something. I've seen expensive animals posted with some of the worst pictures. I'm like, yep. you're not going to get that price for that. Like, People are not going to see it as worth the price. And it may be worth the price. And it, and it may you may have a, immaculate care. It's just the picture doesn't show that. But again, Rufus, yours are great. So uh, when I saw that, I was like, yeah, picture taking. That's an important thing as far as business goes. Someone who sells snakes. Um, oh, I saw this. Nathan Holcomb posted... I saw this video of these people releasing all these alligator snapping turtles, and all I could think as someone who lived in Louisiana is that some Cajun is watching this going, where'd that pond at? Yeah, for sure. Because that's just, that's like a month's worth of dinner right there. It's, <laughs> uh, I, I think all I could see was the one that somersaulted into the water. And turned around. And turned around and was just looking at him like, <laughs> he did. really, bro? The guy dumped it out of the bucket, and he turned around and opened his mouth. Like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, what's just Everyone happened? else got gently released and nudged into the water, and this one just comes tumbling out of the bucket. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they released like 20-something of these into the water. All these people in the comments are like, that's too many in one spot. Then that like, You have no big idea how big that pond is. You can't tell. That could be the edge of a river. Yeah. You can't even tell. You have no idea what that is. But whatever it is, there's some coon ass that wants to know where it's at. Because mm-hmm. that's his dinner. He wants to go set some lines. Uh, this is one of oh, this is that that guy decided to show his animals. Uh, oh, my dad posted this one. So this is where my dad and I used to go uh, kayak fishing all the time. And I miss this place. It was a great place. Uh, and it took me a second time watching this video to realize what I was seeing. Because they're feeding the pelican uh, some of the live bait. And then I realized when he opened his mouth, he's missing the top of his bill. Mm-hmm. Like he has no top of his bill. It just has the bottom. So just kind of chunking it into the open part of his mouth. Um, so that's how that was crazy. That, that goes back to that alligator that we saw that got posted around like a month ago. Mm-hmm. That was missing the top half of its mouth. Uh, yeah. This pelican has just has a, a bottom. Thought it was cool. Uh, oh, I like this. <laughs> Jason Creekmore gave us a brief uh, description of what this video and all this says. So, so brief version, since he knows that I won't read. Young girl finds a lionfish in freshwater Florida and says, kill them all. Mm-hmm. Got my support. Kill them all. They don't belong there. Also, it scares me that they said they found it in freshwater. Because that's horrifying. That is a saltwater fish and a horrible one at that. So, that's stuff over on our discussion page. Again, everybody, go check out our Reptile Gumbo uh, Facebook discussion page. It's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. That's where we tend to have all our fun little conversations and everything. Go check that out. So, anyways. Back to back to Rufus. Uh, I think... I'm sure I have like 5 million more Samboa questions that I'm going to think of later. Just because I never get to talk Samboas because they're not cool, apparently. No, they are cool. They are cool. Just when you go to shows, like, it's me and 
our buddy JT, and that, that's about it for Sambo's. JT, I haven't, we haven't seen JT in two months. I know. He needs to stay away from shows, and that way when I start having Sambo's, I can sell Sambo's. It'll just be me. <laughs> I got two females that I'm pretty sure are pregnant. Do you? Let me ask you this, Rufus. Do you feed your, your females while they're pregnant? Um, it, it kind of depends. I always reduce the amount of feed yeah. that I'm feeding while they're uh, pregnant. Now, um, uh, some of them just don't want to eat at all. If they refuse enough, I just leave them alone. Don't yeah. worry about it. I'll let them go all the way through, especially if they're good body weight. Um, but, uh, but there are some of them that, you know, they, they want to eat, but I just <laughs> still reduce it as a precaution. Yeah. I, uh, I have found the one thing I love about boas, uh, Sam boas, red tail boas. Most of them is that, uh, when pregnant will usually still take food. Whereas like someone with like pythons or something like I tried a carpet python once it got gravid and I was like, I'll put weight on it while it's gravid. That was not happening. She was not eating once she had eggs and she was done. A lot of all pythons won't do it either. But with my boas that my Sam boas say they're eating large adult mice normally when they're gravid, I'm feeding them like hoppers or fuzzies or small mice every now and then I just find it helps keep the weight on them. Cause for folks that don't do live birth snakes, uh, it's rough on them. Like a lot of your live birth snakes, if they don't eat the whole time, I mean, they, they look like an empty sock at the end of it and it is rough on yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. They, they look rough if they uh, don't eat at all. If they just completely refuse food for the full, like three, four months. Yeah. You, you know, and you've got these ball Python people who like it'll lay eggs and that ball Python's ready to breed the next season. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's rough to do with some of these boas. These things just, they are not ready the next season. I, I I give everything a year off. Yeah, I probably could pump food into them and have them at the right weight, but that's a lot to go through, especially with uh, like like my my rainbow boa carries for almost six months. Like that's that's oh, like half a year pregnant. Boas, they're ten or eleven months. Yeah, uh, my red tails are five months. You know, the sand boas are about four months or so. So I mean, that's still that's a long time. That's a lot put in there. Um, so uh, my dad once said it's royal pythons. Shut up. <laughs> Um, so I was just, I was just curious cause, cause I like to try and feed them if they can, just, I find that it helps with the cut recovery too. They recover a little better. Um, and they keep, they keep some weight on. Uh, yeah. I had my first losses, uh, about a year ago, two years ago breeding where I lost a female. Like that's never really been an issue, but I had some that, uh, had infertile ovums. I had one who had an, in, a huge infertile ovum that got stuck in the vent and, I mean, it took forever to oiling it up and do all I could to finally get it out, but I got it out and she, I mean, she, she died shortly, shortly after it was, it mm-hmm. was bad. And then I had yeah. an, another female who had a rough one and, uh, she made it. She's fine now, but now I, in my head, I'm like, don't know if I want to breed her again, which kind of sucks because she wasn't cheap. She's it wasn't, of course it wasn't like one of my normals. This was my striped snow female who was not cheap when I bought her and I'm like, she kind of she had had some babies, but it was rough. She had some infertiles, and she had some definitely that were stuck that came out later. Did she pass it all though? I mean, yeah, yeah, she passed everything, and she's good. She's okay. fine, and she's living. She's eating, um, and that was a while back. But I just, uh, it's it was I I had bred a lot of sambos up to that point before I lost one to to giving birth, and like I said, coming in and finding the one with the massive hardened ovum sticking out of her, uh, that yeah. was rough. But you know it's part of breeding. Yeah, if you're, you're going to breed, you're it's you're going to risk losing stuff. It's yep. just unfor- unfortunate part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Miller says he's hoping to have a pair of viper boas this year. Nine month gestation. Jesus, wow. 
<laughs> All right. Well, in two years, Jason, I'll go or three or four years, whenever they finally happens, I'll, I'm going to get some Viper Rollers from you. But Jesus Christ, that's nine months. That's crazy. I just can't imagine like <clears throat> that long and not eating. Like, because the thing about in the wild, it's a nine month gestation. And you know, animals in the wild don't have huge amounts of fat buildup. Like, like we, we've seen most snakes in the wild are thin by hobby standards, right? Mm-hmm. Most snakes are not the size that we keep them in the hobby. And yet they'll still go, that may still go nine months without eating and then have babies <laughs> and then survive that. I mean, you talk about looking like an empty sock or an empty toothpaste tube. Uh, oh, he's talking to your dad. Oh, <laughs> just Jason's talking about ball pythons. Stop it, Jason. We don't do ball pythons around here. Gross. Get back to the Sambo stuff. All right. You ready? Yeah. Get home. Okay, we'll let Rufus go. I'll, I'll think of questions later to message Rufus and ask about Samboas, or I'll just annoy him for the next two years about Arabians. <laughs> That's... That's fine. <laughs> I want them so bad. I don't. I just. I. I'm. I. As as reptile people, we are. A lot of us are collectors, and so like that's how how we get into. It. That's why we end up having a room with a hundred snakes in it, right? Because sure. like we want to collect stuff. Uh, and samboas. There's there's so many of them, and I, <laughs> I want one of all of them. Or well, I take that back. I want a pair of all of them. Um, and and two of the harder ones to get are the Arabians, and then uh, how, how do you. Uh, Javelin, javelin, jet, javelin, javelins, javelin. I guess. Yeah. I see those every now and then pop up, but not very mm-hmm. common. So that's one. I'm, one I'm still missing too. I got to get those. Uh, so, anyways, uh, Rufus, if people want to reach out to you, check out your awesome animals in your store or your photography, so they can see how to take a picture of a snake. So, if they want to know how to sell a snake, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Rufus Starting Reptiles, and also. Uh, my website's RufusStardenReptiles.com. And I know where, you, where are you located at, Rufus? I'm in Tennessee. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I know you do Tinley. Uh, so if I make a chance to go to Tinley, go out and see him in Tinley and see his animals. Sure. I, I do both the Tinley shows uh, every year and uh, recently started doing the, I guess you say, Arlington, Dallas, uh, NARBC uh, as well. Okay. Well, I'm doing St. Louis this weekend. Um, I will not be vending there, but I'll, I'll be visiting. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be around. Uh, you guys going? No, no, no but okay. I want to try and make it to Arlington next Arlington. And I think we're going to try and make it to the next 10 because Chris is going to be there. Yeah. Well, Chris is going to be at the next Arlington too. Is he? Yeah. Him and Rachel have been talking. Well, it's not even Arlington anymore now. It's That's Dallas. true. It's Dallas. It's Dallas now because they've moved right. it to the new location. Yeah. And as of now, there will be no boas or retics or anything big that can get big there. Cause the city of Dallas is saying no from what I'm hearing. Really? Sandboas will be great. Yeah. It'll be a yeah. Sandboa only show. Right. Soul. And ball pythons. We'll be there. <laughs> and ball pythons. Uh, so my dad asked where in Tennessee, because he's in Northeast Alabama, just south oh, of Tennessee. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in a, a – it's um, called Hillham, Tennessee. It's uh, kind of close to Cookville, Tennessee. And um, I guess the next – if you don't know where Cookville, Tennessee is, close to Knoxville. I know where that is. Okay. Yeah, about an hour away from Knoxville or so. Are you, are you a Tennessee fan? Oh, me? Yeah. Um, pro- probably not like a diehard uh, Tennessee fan. No, I, I wouldn't claim to be. Nothing sucks like a big orange. <laughs> <laughs> See, I can laugh at it. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in the SEC, so it's, I can make fun of every SEC right. team some way. Uh, yeah. 
Well, awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. Uh, yeah, hang around thank you. Uh, while we log off and we'll talk as soon as we get off camera. Everybody else, thanks for being here. We have a guest next week. We're going to talk Diamondback Terrapins next week. Oh. I have a guest lined up to talk about Diamondback You know, the turtle that we can't own in this state. Right. Stupid laws. They were on the table next to us this weekend. They were on the table next to us in Louisiana this weekend. We can't own them. So join us again next week for episode 191. We're talking about Diamondback Terrapins. All right. Good night, everybody.